0: New Testament worship, and the 21st century church. And this morning, a subject I haven't addressed for a long time, I did probably close to a decade ago, I want to talk to you about lifting holy hands with full minds and hearts. Lifting holy hands with full minds and hearts. If there is um, a prominent misconception in the church, it would be this. That lifting hands has to, well, if you're charismatic, you lift hands. I, I used to golf with a gentleman, and he used to, we used to have fun. He meant it in fun, but he would always have little jokes about me as a Pentecostal and, and raising hands. And I'll never forget the day he showed up at the golf course. It was hilarious, actually, and he had a hat, and on it were two little hands that <laughs> stuck up like this. And then on the front It said for lazy charismatics, so you just wear the hat. (laughs) The misconception is this is a charismatic thing. It's a Pentecostal thing. And I, whether you do or don't, I don't want you leaving here with that idea in your head because it's just a falsehood. That's what I want to talk about for a little while today. Here are the texts. I'm going to read about five or six texts. When I get through all the texts, don't panic. The introduction is a bit longer. I have basically one point that I'm going to look at this morning and a, and a few next week. So there'll be this week, next week, and then we'll be done with this, with this series. So I have about five texts, and then I'm going to make brief comments after each text before we get to point number one, Okay. Genesis 14, to 23. But Abraham, this is before the covenant, before Abraham. And I'll talk a bit about the context of this later in this message. Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal or a strap of anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made you rich. We'll see the background to that story. But just for now, the, the idea there obviously is the raising of Abraham's hands speaks to the deepness of his resolve. This is the king of Sodom. Abraham and his, and his cohorts have been gracious to the king of Sodom, King Melchizedek, delivering them from enemies. And they're very gracious and very thankful, and they want Abraham to take all the spoils. That's a bit of the background. And Abraham says, I can't. But, but the I can't isn't just human politeness or courtesy. Like you say, oh, no, no, please, when, when someone offers you a second piece of dessert at company. Oh, no, no. It's not that. He says, there's, God is involved in this. I've brought God involved to my resolution, and the outward sign of that, I raised my hands. And the upraised hand was a necessary reminder that he had to keep his commitment. All right, Exodus 10. This is the story of Joshua down in the valley fighting the Amalekites. Aaron and Hur are up with Moses up on the mountaintop. Exodus seventeen ten. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So so they took a stone, put it under him so he could sit down. And then Aaron and Hur held up his hands. One on one side, one on the other side. And so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. So Joshua is made to see in very visible terms the connection between Moses' upraised hands, a symbol of prayer, intercession, reliance, dependency on God. And Joshua is made to see the connection between when Moses' hands are up, he wins, and when they're down, he loses And so these hands are a very forceful expression of the pursuit of divine power, divine protection. Why can't God just give Joshua the victory without Moses' hands being in the air? Could he? Give him the victory? Just give him the victory. So what's this all about? There's, There's not just victory from the Lord, there's human participation. There's human acknowledgement of need. There's human outreach. There's human pleading. There's an engagement. Psalm twenty-eight two. I have two texts here, twenty-eight two and then sixty-three. Hear the voice. Hear the voice of my pleas. My pleas for mercy, there it is. When I cry out to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary, my pleas for for mercy. If there's a disease in the evangelical church, it's that repentance has turned into just a quick apology to God. Oh, sorry about that. I'll do better next time. David doesn't just say sorry. His his whole being and his body is is positioned in a way that is reaching out. Reaching out for mercy. His hands are are an extension of his heart. I felt a bit of that when we sang right here, open up my eyes in wonder and, and without any any conscious thought at that moment. My, my hands went up and I thought immediately of Paul's words when he prays for the church in Ephesus that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And I thought, and I thought only the Holy Spirit can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can come into this place and 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 help people to. See things that otherwise they'll just hear. See, there's a kind of, well, I'll get into that later on. 63, 3 and 4. This is different because your, your steadfast love is better than life. So there's the important word. Because there's a reason here. And, and then his body. My lips will praise you. I will bless you as long in, as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hand. Hands. Lips. It's, it's, it's just the ultimate expression of holy logic. As far as I know, um, David wasn't a card-carrying member with the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. But his heart overflows with gratitude. But he realizes that God hasn't just blessed his heart. And he hasn't just blessed your heart either. God has blessed his life. And this life finds expression in the body that God has blessed. Lips speak praise. Hands are raised. Because God doesn't just touch your soul. It's you. And he made this part of you. And so all of it. Remember we sang at that, that, that last hymn. And, and the hymn writer catches a bit of this. Uh, the trees and the water and the, the physical things of creation. They, why are they there? To glorify God. Why did he give you a body? He didn't have to create you a physical being. He could have made you like angels. But he gave you a physical body and he redeemed your physical body. David recognizes, well, this just makes sense. All of this has been touched by God's mercy. Lips speak praise. Hands are raised. Knees bow. Heads lift. I'm not a ghost. Psalm 134 and then 141. This one, come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. What do you think of when I read those words? Does your brain, if you're a little older, does it just go to come bless the Lord, right? All you servants of the Lord. We used to sing it. It's right out of this text. They stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. We romanticize what this is about. Priests would minister in the house of the Lord. That's what, that's what, that's what uh, this is about right there. It's not some mystical house of the Lord. It's the temple. The tabernacle, then the temple. And the specific job, you can read about it, was to keep the fire before the altar constantly lit. It was to never, ever go out. Around about three a.m., there you are in the house of the Lord on your shift, and you're tired and a bit weary. What, what, what would keep the soul engaged and alert? Well, come, come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. Lift up your hands. Lift up your hands in the holy place. One of the disadvantages of being a pastor worshiping in the front row is, is people can't help but see you worshiping. And I'm sure there are lots of Sundays when people think Pastor Don is just being blessed out of his socks as his hands are raised to the Lord. And, and boy, if they only knew, you know, if they only knew that there's Pastor Don, oh God, if you don't touch my heart now, everybody's just going to be wasting their time here. The more engaged I am, uh, the more alert I am. It's It's pretty basic. How many of you are here this morning? That would just be an honesty test, but I want you to respond because I don't think it's an embarrassing thing. I want everybody to respond. Don't be like one of those people who say, I'm not putting my hand up for anything he says from this point on. <laughs> January 6th, here we are. First Sunday of a new year. And we've, we've just gone through the whole Christmas thing, the New Year's thing, company, family eating more than I should, goodness knows you get up and you can't even remember what day it is anymore. And, and now all of a sudden, what I thought was going to be a break, it left me tired already, and we're right back into it. And, and uh, I'm a little bit weary. Now I'm curious, how many people does that describe? Put it up high and hold it for a minute. Come on. Yes, I get it it. What, what, what do you do at times like that? Well if I follow this scriptural idea engagement helps. Engagement helps. Bringing, bringing the body into worship helps. We do the prayer meeting Wednesday night 745 half hour you ought to all be there. And uh, I found years ago, see what I'm doing right now? I can't help it. When I, when I talk on my cell phone or when I pray, nothing else works unless my feet are moving. And so when we have prayer meeting in the South Sanctuary, I have to get up and I walk around. And I find that my brain stays more focused When there's something physical attached to to what I'm doing. And that if I just sit, put my head down, put my hand in my heads. My head in my hands, that'd be better. (laughs) See, I stopped walking. Did you see what happened there? If I just bow, put my head in my hands. I'm not asleep, but there's a voice over there praying in the south sanctuary and a they're not praying loud enough for me to hear them anyways and all of a sudden i'm just but if i get up i walk and i'll do it as i as i pray there's something that is on my heart god i need this my hand will just go up it's not a charismatic thing it's, it's a Bible thing. It's a Bible thing. The more engaged I am, the more alert I am. We, we, we aren't just spirits, we're bodies. Do you see what I'm doing with my hand right now? Why am I doing that when I'm talking to you? Because if I just do this, we're really glad you all came here. If we could just turn to Psalm 18, read it with me. And then uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him. I'm not in it. See that? I'm not in it. Now, we know that works in human relationships. I don't want to just tell Rini that I love her. I, I'm sorry. I, I want to hold her. I want to hold her. I, I want that to be expressed in some way. And And... I know my love for God isn't the same kind of love, but I am still the person, and I need to be engaged. There's a a kind of teaching, just standing up here conveying content, there's a kind of teaching the devil can do. But to teach people to love what they hear, to, to, to engage in what they hear, to embrace it, to make it theirs, to delight in it, that's only the Holy Spirit can do that. And he works through these physical beings. It's not for wingnuts. It's for people that love Jesus with with their whole being. Psalm 141, 1 and 2. The subject here is prayer. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. That's interesting. And the lifting up of my hands... As the evening sacrifice. Notice the emphasis on incense and sacrifice. They're they're constantly described throughout the Old Testament and in places in the New as bringing um, pleasure to God. A fragrant offering. That's the idea of the incense. As something that brings delight to God. Here's my question, church do I really need another reason for raised hands and worship if I know that God delights in it? Like, like do my reservations, whatever ideas I've just been carting around all these years, do my reservations count more than something that God delights in? Is there anything more important than that to me? We were at some point over the Christmas season we were watching we were watching a decorating show it wasn't even a nice decorating show it was a decorating show about tidying up the hostess is a Japanese woman I can't say this strongly enough it's a decorating show with subtitles. Let me say that again. It's a decorating show with subtitles. It's a decorating show <laughs> with subtitles. And I'm sitting there, and I look over at Reenie. And she has a smile on her face. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't delighting in the show. But I do delight in Reenie. See, I know it brings her delight. Something brings her delight, and so I, I want to be in on that. And and this just clear passage let my the raising of my hand let it be as incense like the evening sacrifice the one you delight in i got to keep going we haven't reached point number 1 yet you're all okay with that eh lamentations there's a different feel to these words i'm going to one day if i live long enough and you're not sick of me w- the book of lamentations is a fascinating Study. After this period of judgment, it's a dark kind of a book. Lamentations 2.17, the Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has has thrown down without pity. He He has made the enemy rejoice over you. And exalted the might of your foes. God was taking the side of the foes. When God's on the side of your enemies, look out. Their heart cried to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears stream down like a torrent. Cry about this, God says. Give yourself no rest, your eyes no respite. Arise, cry out in the night. At the beginning of the night watches, pour out, pour out your heart like water. How do you do that? Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who, who faint for hunger at the head of every street. Man. Those aren't light, breezy verses. God's judgment is in full bloom. It's affecting everyone, even the children. And there's something so poignant about that phrase. Pour pour out your heart before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to Him, 19. And I love the way there's that very intentional connection. Hearts get poured out more fully as hands are raised. I want the pouring out of my heart to find its fullest expression possible. And and given everything we're seeing from the Word of God, no one will ever convince me, no one will ever convince me that there isn't a connection between the thoughtful lifting of hands and the opening up of my heart. First Timothy. First Timothy two one to eight. Are you all still okay? It's not late yet, don't worry. First Timothy two, eight. First Timothy two verses one to eight, sorry. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions. Presidents, prime ministers. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Who desires, how many people? Who desires all people to be saved. And come to a knowledge of the truth. Keep that Keep that phrase in mind as we go to the next slide. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire that in How many places? Every place that men should pray and women, lifting holy hands, and then this weird ending without anger or quarreling. There's something strange in the last words of that text. Everyone everywhere, everyone everywhere should, at least at times, pray with uplifted hands. That's Paul. It's not a suggestion, it's what he wants. And then these words, without anger or quarreling, verse 8. Well, how do uplifted hands in prayer relate to anger and quarreling? Well, anger and quarreling very quickly can become more than just internal emotions. I, I quarrel, quarreling. Specifically, I quarrel with my physical lips. You quarrel with someone. And what might angry hands do if they get angry enough? So Paul has just said that God desires, verse 4, all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And that includes the people with whom I get angry and with whom I quarrel. And so Paul says there's a problem, Don, You you need to recognize that your words and your actions, the things you do in anger have an effect on people coming to Jesus. And I need you to take those hands, this person, and you need to offer that to the Lord. You need to consecrate this physical body through which anger can very easily flourish. I must remember... My physical words and my physical deeds as I pray. I pray to make sure my outward acts don't betray my prayer for people who need Jesus. My, my physical body mustn't make a mockery of those prayers. Okay, so we've gone through these texts. I commented, but not long. It just seemed long. All of these five teachings that we've done, they have to do with the practice of worship in the contemporary church. And I said, because we've been away from it for a little while now, I said there were two basic principles that have to be kept in mind. Here are the two basic principles. We said first that the Old Testament must be interpreted in the light of the completed revelation of the New Testament. And, we, and you can never forget this. The Old Testament is preparatory, it's promissory, It constantly looks forward to the completion of the story in the New Testament. Where that's said most clearly, I believe, is in Hebrews. There are churches that will go right through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 8.13. When he said a new covenant, look at this. He has made the first, there's that word right in your Bible, obsolete. Whatever is becoming obsolete. Obsolete is growing old and ready to disappear. So God said the old covenant its obsolete, disappearing. So it's important if we're going to look at worship practices for the church, we need to know where they fit in. Some things are obsolete. We don't do them anymore. Some things are abiding and continuous. So how are we going to know? And that led to the second principle. Remember how long this one was. For worship practices to be adopted by the contemporary church, there's one of two things that has to happen. They must be carried over from the Old Testament to the New. okay, Or they must be introduced in the New Testament by repetition or clear instruction and be seen to be permanent additions to the worship pattern of the New Age. So either carried over from the Old Testament into the New, so you see them in both, Like lifting hands. Or they need to be something introduced in the New Testament, but introduced in a way that's shown to be continuous. This do till I come. Okay, we get the idea behind that, right? Great commission. Go, make disciples of all nations. Baptizing. Okay, so this is ongoing. We can see it. We know it. I think we need to remember those two two tensions. And that leads us into this study of lifting hands to the Lord. We mustn't omit anything that the New Testament includes. And we mustn't add anything that the New Testament doesn't emphasize. All right? We mustn't omit anything that the New Testament includes. That would be like the gifts of the Spirit. There are whole denominations that just just write that off. There's not a shred of biblical evidence for that. Don't omit anything that the New Testament includes. Don't add anything that the New Testament doesn't have. Let me give you a for instance. It's not a big deal. I'm only giving it as a for instance. It's not a fighting point or it wasn't some big deal. How many remember when we used to sing the chorus and we put the words up? I remember the very first time I saw it. Um, May our homes be filled with singing. Remember that song? Well, the way it was written is, May our homes be filled with dancing. That's how it com- came across. The idea was, you take David dance before the Lord. It's in the Bible. And so, and I remember when I saw it the first time, and I said, let's just, let's just, you know what, let's just change that to singing. And we sang singing. My reason for that wasn't just that I can't dance. The reason for that is it breaks this principle. It takes something that is in the Old Testament, but nowhere mentioned in the New. Okay, It just takes an Old Testament, usually from the Psalms, and says, let's apply this to the church age. But when you get to the New Testament, Jesus doesn't talk about dancing. Paul doesn't talk about dancing. Peter, James, John, none of that. It's not mentioned anywhere in the New Testament. So it was just a matter of how do you implement principles like this in the worship of your church? Let me say it again. We don't encourage lifting up hands to the Lord because David did that in the Psalms. I hope that's clear. We endorse lifting hands in worship because Paul reissues and reendorses an Old Testament practice of lifting up hands and he applies it to the church age specifically. Not everything receives that kind of attention. There's all sorts of things. How many remember eh, when, when the whole vineyard thing went through and there were all sorts of, all sorts of different uh, trends and developments? None of them were like sinful. Th- that's not the point. There was, there was dancing before the Lord. There was laughing in the Spirit. Remember that? There was slain in the Spirit. There was being drunk in the Spirit. So in, in spite of all the strange and weird references that people sometimes pull out of the hat to validate these things, they do not receive emphasis from Jesus or the apostles, and they aren't recorded anywhere as practices for the New Testament church. Why do we emphasize lifting holy hands to the Lord? Why is this Old Testament expression reemphasized in the New Testament? What, what is the meaning behind the gesture today? What thoughts should be filling my mind as I do this? What, what did Paul see in the Old Testament that he wanted under inspiration of the Holy Spirit? He wanted carried over into the church age. I'm going to look at just one point. We're still on course. I'm just doing one point now as I wrap up. So like I said, point number one. The lifting up of hands is a pledge of commitment to keep a vow. To follow up on a promise. Now you go back to that reference that I looked at in Genesis. Here's the story. After his return from defeat of Chedor-Lomar and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him. This is Abraham. He blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him, Melchizedek, a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. You you won the battle. There's lots of spoils out there. The goodies are yours. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, can't, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abraham rich. So Abraham provides protection and deliverance to, he's called a king and a priest, Melchizedek, And the king of Sodom as well, he's so extremely grateful. He just wants Abraham to have the spoils of all the defeated enemies. But Abraham won't do it. The king persists. Is Abraham going to cave in to the king's generous pleading? Okay. And what you're witnessing in this passage is the classic inward battle that we all face between our resolutions, our best intentions, and... Innocent outward compromises. That's what you're seeing there. And what gives Abraham inward strength is outward worship. He says, I've. Interesting. He doesn't just say, no, I made a commitment. He says, no, I raised my hand to the Lord. The lifting up of hands to the Lord. To this day, the presentation of the life, the offering up of the will, independence upon the Lord. It's an action that, that bespeaks determination to follow through on what otherwise will just be pretty good intentions. It brings God into it. I present my, my whole being, my physical body, I present my physical body to the purposes and plans of the Lord. Romans 12, present your bodies, living sacrifices. Of course, that means in the things you do day by day, but it also means in your worship. What's what's behind the actions of, what keeps the body aligned with God's will at work and at sports and in college and in university, wherever you are, what keeps the body doing the will of God is in the worship of that body, the body is presented to God. God. You you can't just present your soul to God in church and expect your body to please Him during the week. It's all offered to the Lord. So, in Abraham's case, this action would call to mind the words and decisions that were made before the Lord. We know this to be the case. Most of the time, not always, but even in our courts, people will place their one hand on a Bible, not always a Bible anymore, and and they raise the other. And it it bespeaks their commitment to live up to what they're about to say. There's, There's something of significance in pointing the body toward our Creator, the one who created them, the one who sustains them. My plea here is one I've raised for decades in this church. We all come from so many different church and denominational backgrounds, different upbringings. We all have different mental presets. We all have different fears. We all have our own temperaments. My plea is never let the fear of fanaticism turn your mind against God's constant scriptural summons to be obedient to the Lord with more than just your mind. Worship has to be scripturally holistic. God didn't just create you as a soul. He is Lord over your physical body and he wants that presented to him in worship. Nothing but life and goodness will flow from that, church. Nothing but life and goodness will flow from that. If you're visiting with us, I'm speaking more to people who are here week by week by week, but maybe you should know too. Here's our goal. If the New Testament teaches it, we want to practice it. But we're really not interested in anything that goes beyond what is written in the New Testament. That's just a good place to stand. It's just a good place to stand. And it pulls both people. There there are people who who think that uh, whatever the latest fad and trend is, that happens to be what the Holy Spirit's doing in the church, and you need to bring it into yours. And you need to just say, no, here's, here's the book. Here's how we do it. And there are other people that think you're already way out on the land. I've had you know, people, they speak in tongues, they do this, they raise hands. What in the world are you doing there, Pastor Don? And the same argument. Here's, here's the book. This is, this is what we do. One more in this series. And it's only 11.07. Let's pray together.